Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia, and welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here and joined, as always, by John Pigeon. Hello, Emily, and I've got an interesting fact or stat this morning to kick things off. Unemployment at its lowest rate since 1974, sitting at a, an amazing 3.9%, which basically tells me that anyone who wants a job can get a job. Yeah, great time for a job seeker. Pretty hard time for businesses trying to hire. The roles have reversed, so yeah. And we're not my millennial career, by the way, but... Uh, <laughs> there is a show for that, though, if you, do, there if you do need career help. But how does this relate to property or property investing? Well, uh, we look at population growth, we look at economy, we look at infrastructure, we look at all these major trends happening in different areas, and employment is pretty important. Can I work in a certain area? Is it just a a major focus, single industry area, all those sort of things. So unemployment is part of our, uh, I suppose, makeup when we're doing our research. Definitely a macro factor of property. Now, today's episode, which we're about to get into, is a good one that I think people are going to refer back to when the time comes for them and a great one to listen to in general. Uh, The topic of converting your primary place of residence into an investment property. So if your ears are pricking up at that, this is the episode for you today. Let's get into it. Right. So, Emily, I personally haven't been through this myself, uh, and I don't believe you have either. No, I haven't. So, we're talking quite naked from our point of view today (laughs) about that. (laughs) Uh, But we have seen a lot of people that have done it, and we've given them tips and tricks along the way. So... What's the high-level points that we need to factor in, do you think? Well, I think the biggest thing is that, number one, people are sort of considering when would be a good time to change my PPR into an investment. And that may come about probably by two main ways. One would be that they're planning to upsize their property and they would like to keep potentially the first home that they bought, I'm assuming here, most case scenarios unfold this way. They want to keep their first home as an investment and they're looking to upsize. That's one option. The other one is that they have lived in it, they've outgrown it, but they're actually turning into a rent vester. And so they're renting it out. Yeah. So when we look at, uh, I suppose, property investors, uh, we encourage them majority of the time to build the portfolio and not to just trade one for the other. And this is really what we're going to deep dive into today is, well, we've got our PPR, our principal place of residence. Uh, go back a step. 
there, in the last few years, we've had a lot of first homeowner concessions, haven't we? So we might be thinking, right, we're, we're delving into this, we're taking advantage of those concessions or grants w- with the view that we're only going to live there for, for 12 months and then convert it, right? Now, that's been the new way of, of owning a PPR and then turning it into an investment. But for hundreds of years, people have been saying, well, I may be transient with my work, I buy a home because that's what Aussies do. Uh, and we, as soon as I move away from that area, if I can rent it out, I, I move to another area and maybe rent or buy my own home to live in in that new area. That that's really been a common theme for for a lot of people. Correct, and I think uh, a lot of people do want to take advantage of those first home buyer concessions. They do live in the property for at least twelve months to be eligible and make sure they're abiding by the law of what's stipulated that you must do when you take advantage of those concessions or schemes. And then it's a question of okay, now what do I do and how do I most effectively convert this into an investment property? And so there's a couple of things. The first one that comes to mind for me is all around the timing of it, like getting your ducks lined up so that it is effective time-wise, that you can minimise vacancy on it, particularly if your case scenario is that you are holding it and upsizing to another property, so you're holding two mortgages at the very least. So my first step that I would consider is going to my mortgage broker to understand what does that look like from a finance piece? Yeah, totally, totally. So we, we've got to be thinking how is the, the cash flow going to work in our life? So the, yeah, obviously borrowing capacity, what can we lend for, for our first purchase? Uh, and then looking at the rental yield of what that property may actually rent for when we move out. Uh, we may even go back a step further and say, well, before we buy our principal place of residence, we've got an intent to actually rent it out in the next few years. So part of the research early on might be, well, okay, I'm going to live in it. I can handle that mortgage principal and interest or interest only. Um, but then when I move out in two years or three years or five years, what will it rent for in today's dollars and what does that look like from a cash flow perspective as well? So we can really do some forward planning, can't we? But if we're, if we're not that organised and we didn't do that planning because it's sort of uh, just life changes, um, then, yeah, definitely seeing what we can lend to go and buy something else but uh, what will the holding cost be on that particular investment and uh, so mortgage broker absolutely and then it's probably at the same time a conversation with the accountant isn't it to say well now it's an investment how does that change the landscape well very much so because we're now claiming everything, uh, all, all the tax, all the running costs as tax deductions, provided that we're we're working in our job. Correct, and I think the biggest thing that people, particularly in the Facebook group, I see a lot of comments around this is how to actually go about this step in you know moving out of my PPR and making it an investment is a lot around understanding the change in the use of that property and what things you need to do. So, accountant definitely, you need to be speaking to them but also uh, ordering a valuation of that property in the point in time in which it became an investment because that is crucial. You're actually changing the use of that property and hopefully it's gone up in value since you first bought it. (laughs) One would assume that most properties do um, depending on your whole time, but that is really crucial to order a sworn valuation 
of the property to ensure that the value is taken from the time in which it was an investment because this all loops in to capital gains and when the property was actually used for investment, probably dipping into accountant territory here. <laughs> this is not accounting advice. Yeah. yeah, and we're happy to have a crack at that but uh, <laughs> it's education only. So let, let's give a high-level example of that. So uh, we purchased a property for 400k. It's our principal place of residence. We we got a valuation at the day that we moved out of that property, um, and that valuation came in at 500,000. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've got a gain of 100,000 dollars because we lived in it. That's capital gains tax free. So that 100k when we sell that property at some stage, 10 years down the track or whenever, uh, we don't have to pay tax on that. So that's the benefit of living in your own home, right? So from that day onwards, the 500k is now the new valuation, uh, and then hypothetically down the track, if we sell that property for 700, uh, then there'll be 200k which will have a uh, tax payable on it. So we'll get the 12-month exemption because we've owned it longer than 12 months. So we'll be taxed on basically 100K depending on how much money we earn in that financial year that we sell it is how much capital gains tax we'll pay on that. That's a real basic example. And just to just to clarify on that so people are across how you land on the 100K, if you have owned the property more than 12 months, then the capital gain tax is 50% of the value of the gain. So how John arrived at the 100K is the, just 200 divided, divided by two. Um, so that's your 100K. Yes. So, uh, and that would be a really classic example and probably a, really, a realistic example of what may unfold. Um, and then alongside that, in terms of drawing a line in the sand with an investment property is logistics of it actually being an investment. So how do I attract the best tenants? Am I going to have a property manager? Am I going to manage it myself? And I know you and I have touched on this in the past around our views on property managers versus self-managed, but it is a decision you really need to entrust someone with if you are going down the property management route to look after your investment and make sure that you are on top of things because the value proposition when you go to sell largely comes down to how well the property has been maintained and looked after during the period in which it was rented out. Yeah, totally. And and what springs to mind with that right now is a, a guy that uh, listeners may know very well, Glenn James. He is, as we speak, doing this, right? Oh. He's c- converting his own rock to uh, a, an investment property. Now, I was there during the week and he was talking about the things that he was doing to touch up the property. Now, was that to improve the value of the property? No. Was it to increase the rent or get a certain standard of tenant that says, right, it's all freshly painted, it's got new curtains and blinds, it's uh, it's it's been extremely well looked after, everything's neat and tidy, the garden's smick, right? That's the standard that's going to be kept throughout the tenancy. Now, that's what he was thinking, but also thinking, well, uh, it rents for seven hundred, but do you reckon I can get seven fifty because I've now improved the aesthetics of it? So it's really that dance, isn't it, between spending some money to make it nice and appealing for the tenant, but not going over the top, thinking, "Oh, this is what the tenant would like. They'll love brand new, expensive carpet. They'll love, um, I don't know, something else that uh, that you know that." 
is probably going to be ha- have to be replaced at some stage as an investor. Exactly. Very much an opportunity cost of the trade-off between potentially more rent per week versus an outlay to you and actually, you know, expense on the cost base really in getting the property ready for rental. Um, from what I hear, John, you know, particularly in Melbourne at the moment and, and maybe it is the same um, on the Central Coast in New South Wales, in terms of the uh, rental market, it is in demand at the moment. And for people who, you know, are trying to, for lack of a better term, time the market to rent their property out or to look at when the best time would be if you've got time on your side to flip a property into an investment, you may want to consider the vacancy rates, what that looks like and how in demand your property is because it does come and go in waves. You know, sometimes the flavour of the month is every family is looking to rent a particular property and then it might be young professionals who need a two-bedroom apartment. It really comes in waves as to supply and demand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was speaking to someone the other day about that and and they said, oh, do you think we should put another bedroom on before renting it out? And I'm like, well, you're going to buy something else and... Uh, whilst we do this. So going and spending another 50, 60 grand on an extra bedroom to get an extra uh, rental income or increase of value is probably not the wisest decision. But you you know your property and just see what that demand of rental is out there. And the first person I would probably speak to or people is property management teams and, and just say, right, let's get two or three different appraisals. We'll probably sit somewhere in the middle. Some will give high, some will give low and and then run the cash flow numbers on that. But if you did X, Y, Z to it, then you could maybe achieve this type of rent. So that that's the exercise that you're going through long before you're actually moving out of the place. 100%. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to discuss a few more things that you need to consider and then touch on some long-term planning for your property portfolio and uh, particularly having an investment and a PPR in the mix, what things you need to consider. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So one thing that we probably need to chat about is the decision upon moving out of that 
principal place of residence. Uh, are we going to buy something else or are we just going to rent vest? And that means renting someone else's place and just having our investment. So uh, what factors do we need to think about when we're choosing? Are we going to be a rent vester or are we going to buy our own occupier again? The first one that always comes to mind is certainly in a lot of conversations I have with people grappling with the decision of this largely comes down to risk appetite and I guess that sense of security. For some people, renting is not an option because they don't want the uncertainty of, you know, will I only be here for 12 months? Will I be here for three years? What if the landlord wants to sell the property? So for some people, the decision's already made up that I need to buy a property because they purely want the security and that's more than fine. That's the right decision for you and your circumstances. So that's one thing that comes to mind. On the other end of the spectrum, if you are a bit more of a risk taker or you're happy being, you know, potentially in a couple of different rentals across a five, 10 year period, then potentially rent vesting might be an option for you on the basis of risk level. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really a mindset thing, isn't it? Uh, do I like renting? Am I happy paying the landlord rent each week? Or do I want to pay interest to the bank and in the hope that we'll get some growth out of the property that we buy? So uh, I think, it. yeah, you're right. It's it's a risk thing. Uh, and, and then coupled with the mindset to understand, is this for me or not? Uh, I, I, I suppose we need to consider maybe the occupation that we're in because some jobs actually give incentives for buying their own home in a local area. Mm-hmm. Some actually don't and want you to rent. So like I know mining has some stipulation around where you can buy uh, your own home and, and the commute times and things like that. So we're factoring that in as an occupational thing and whether they assist with rent or, or your own mortgage. Um, and obviously the tax implications. So looking at, well, if I rent, can I claim some of the running costs? Uh, Like if I work from home, for example, can I claim a bedroom or two because that's my study uh, work from home? Uh, My CGT, so capital gains tax we've spoken about, but also what we're paying for in rent versus what the rent I'm getting for my investment. Mm. So, uh, and, uh, and as you touched on before, Emily, the, the vacancy rates are extremely low and it's ex- really competitive to find property as, as a tenant, which unfortunately is the case in most parts of Australia. Yeah. And doesn't look to be changing anytime soon. So the cost of rent has gone up so much, hasn't it? And if you're a tenant out there, you'd be, you'd be feeling that pain. So, in a, in a lot of cases, even though the interest rates have also risen since the start of the year, what you probably find is it may be cheaper to handle a mortgage than it is to, to cover the rent. Definitely. Another circumstance surrounding the shift in uh, maybe rent vesting for a period of time may be that you want to trial an area for a 12-month period before you commit mm. to buy. I like that. And I really encourage this because – how are you to know that you love the area if you've never lived there before? Maybe you've got a friend that lives there or a family member. But I think to truly absorb an area and consider buying there, really a 12-month period, it's kind of like I always think back to, you know, going to holidays in Byron Bay or Noosa. I'm like, I could live here, you know, because it's like a holiday life. But I've only been there for a week. How would I actually know what it's like logistically to really live there? I think a longer-term lease, even a six-month lease, would be quite a good idea to try before you buy effectively and be really committed because presumably if you're coming from your first home and you flip back to an investment property 
and now you're upsizing to your next home, this is going to be quite a significant purchase for you. So yeah. you wouldn't want to buy and then find that you actually don't really like the area because that's probably not that nice to live with. <laughs> no, that's right. And, and I always think about Noosa as well when I I think about, well, people moving to an area based on the emotion of loving it when they get there for a holiday. And, yeah. and I take my bike up there every year for on holidays and, and I ride with these people that are all from Melbourne, right? They uh, <laughs> They seek. They move out of there in winter and and up to the the sunny coast for for the nice warm weather. And I always think, well, yeah, a lot of them like holidayed there for ten years and then decided, yep, I'm actually moving here. So yeah. they haven't rented uh, for a period of time, but they've definitely got the ins and outs of the area sussed out. But what what would be maybe two or three things that you would want in a in an area if you went and tried before you buy? I think number one, the biggest thing is the community feel. For me, I'm personally, and I think a lot of people are really big on the community aspect and are these people similar to me as well? You know, I don't want to live in an area that I feel outnumbered or that I feel that I don't fit in. So community is a really big one. The other one would be amenity um, and particularly, you know, I don't have to walk to the grocery shop, but if there was a little IGA on the corner that I could run and grab milk when I run out, that would be good. Yes. Um, and milk bar in Victoria, isn't it? A milk bar. Yeah, milk bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's now this thing called Milk Run where you get you can get groceries delivered within ten minutes, which I cannot believe. I think that's just a little bit lazy, but that's a side. That that's is. a massive side note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the other thing would be um, parkland. How much green space is there? in proportion to the density of the suburban area because for me and for many people, you don't want to feel like you're living in a concrete jungle because that just isn't much fun. You need green space, you need outdoor space to be able to walk around, particularly for buying or renting a property that has limited outdoor space on the actual premises. Yes. I think that's a really big factor and one that pops up a lot with buyers. Yeah. Yeah. My view on that's changed over the journey. When when I was in my twenties and dare say it, early 30s, I was like, I'll move to where I can make the most money through property, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my black and white view on it. <laughs> Over time, wife, kids, etc. now I've started thinking about, well, if I was to move somewhere or if we were to move somewhere, it'd be school zones. Mm-hmm. It'd be, as you said, green space and, and uh, sports that the kids can play and uh, I suppose access to things like do they want the beach, do they want um, trails, do they want, I, I don't know, national parks, whatever it might be. But what I've realised in those two, I suppose, experiences is, they're in a lot of cases both the same anyway because uh, what we think is demand for uh, park space and schools and everything else is a lot of where the property growth comes from anyway, doesn't it? Like they're blue chip areas. Exactly, blue chip areas that attract good prices for resale that are definitely rentable in terms of you know potentially having that as an investment property as well. They're kind of one of the same. And so you're right, those attributes that you now look for potentially, you know, that you were the same things as later in life as they are early. Uh, I definitely think that they're common denominators in a really good property. And so whether you are buying it as an investment or as a family home, the areas do speak for themselves. And fundamentally, real estate is all about location when it comes down to the things that you can't control. The interior of a property, you can control changing the paint colour, 
doing an extension, making it look better, but you cannot change where that property is located. And that is fundamentally one of the biggest principles when it comes to buying real estate. Absolutely. Supply and demand Mm -hmm. and uh, focus on demand. So we've fast forwarded, we've gone and spoken to a mortgage broker, we're going to buy another property. Let's chat about the running costs of that, but also the mindset or maybe fear around, hang on a minute, I've got a mortgage on this property, now I'm going to get a mortgage on this second property. Uh, What if everything blows up in my face? Yeah, and you definitely have to work off worst case scenarios, right? Like all these what ifs, you need to plan for them so that you're not in a flurry when something may, you know, unfold. And I would potentially suggest a financial planner in the mix of this decision making as well, or at least the process to map it out and understand your buffers. One thing, regardless of what stage of property purchasing you're in, whether it's your first home and investment or, you know, second home, one thing I think people underestimate the most is how much buffer they need if things went south. Yeah, absolutely. So I've done a an amazing number of clarity calls around this because it's such a common topic. And and the one common denominator is that fear aspect of, well, what uh, I, I look at a mortgage and I look at the repayments and I'm like, well, what, what's the worst that can happen? So, okay, the cash flow on your first property is, is uh, really key to know that ideally it's covering its own costs and it's wiping its own face, should we say. So that part of it's covered. Then the the new mortgage, are we comfortable making those repayments? And if we're not and we're just maybe biting off more than we can chew, then we need to reassess our goals and our targets as to how much we can spend. Because as we know, we don't have to spend what the bank thinks that they, they can lend us. Two different numbers, isn't it? The, what the bank will lend you and what you feel comfortable with. And what, you know, you can sleep at night safely knowing that you've got your mortgage well and truly covered. They're two very different figures. And I think people fail to realize that it's, you know, the bank said I can borrow 900,000. So I'm going out with my, you know, mindset of 900,000 is is my home. So you do need to be careful about that. And I think if the answer to the question is that we're feeling uncomfortable about the mortgage repayments on the second property, if you do go to buy your upsizer, then maybe it is a matter of renting somewhere potentially less desirable to suck it up for 12 months. Mm. Maybe it is moving back in with mum and dad. Maybe it is just reducing the costs of your outgoings for housing so that you can save a little bit more and have more buffers in place when it comes time to purchase again. And that's okay. I think people need to realise that jumping from one property to the next is not always a straight line. You may need to take a little break. You might need to pull to the side for a minute and reassess before you jump into the next thing and do it wisely. Yeah, totally. And and just doing some quick numbers on that, $700 a week in rent now is in in city centres, pretty standard, isn't it? So uh, annually, that's about 35 grand a year, 7535 last time I I checked. (laughs) We compare that to a $700,000 mortgage, which again is now the standard for for a lot of areas at say 4%, which is way over the top, but let's run with that. That's 28 grand a year in interest. So we're seven grand short now that, or seven grand cheaper than actually renting and, and paying the landlord. However, we need to factor in some principal repayments. So let's put another, say, 10 or 12 grand on top of that, brings it to 38. 
or 40. So we might be three to five grand more expensive to live in our own home, but we're paying down that mortgage and obviously we're taking advantage of some growth. So that's maybe a starting point uh, on the back of a postcard if if you're thinking about it. But understand that you'll never be 100% about making a decision. Mm. You'll always be thinking, what if? You'll always have the fear in the back of your mind and depending on who you speak to, they might freak you out of making a decision altogether. So understand there'll be some trepidation but if the majority of the numbers stack up and you're more than comfortable and you've thought about worst case scenarios, uh, then you'll be fine. And I think what I take away from that is be careful who you turn to for advice. Really be careful because most often it is family and friends. And whilst that's great and you obviously feel comfortable talking to them, unless they are a qualified you know, financial planner or someone who has bought multiple properties, they may not be giving you the best advice. They might give you some considerations that you need to think through. But really, whenever I personally make a decision in life, regardless of what aspect it is, I try and seek out an independent person who is in no way related to me, doesn't know much about me and just grabs the facts and then makes recommendations based on those facts. And I just think that's so crucial, isn't it? Like for anything that you're making a decision about, go to experts, that is what they are there for. Absolutely, yeah, and you pay for what you get. Yeah, and this podcast is free, so. (laughs) (laughs) So if you didn't like today's session, then it didn't cost you anything other than a little bit of time. (laughs) So to summarise in the changing your PPR to a rental property Definitely speak to a mortgage broker, have an accountant involved to understand the tax implications and what you need to consider on the gains and when you're selling. Uh, Potentially and probably most encouraged to engage a great property manager who is going to make your life easier. They are an investment, not an expense. Just remember that. Uh, and then potentially also involving a financial planner to work out your what-ifs, your buffers and your worst-case scenarios so you have things in place that you're not stressed about money and that you can understand what your potential is when it comes to going into your next property down the line. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're uh, they're very good tips. Uh, one thing I just thought of yeah. was uh, we said earlier in the show that we're we get evaluation done. Yes. Uh, just check with your accountant if they're happy with a, a sales appraisal from a real estate agent or it needs to be evaluation from the bank or can it be an independent valuer doing the valuation? Because often, as you know, Emily, we can get very differing results. And, and normally, I'd say history tells me that the real estate a sales appraisal will be higher than the bank valuation or the independent valuation, won't it? So that works in your favour when we're thinking capital gains tax. Definitely. That's a really good point to make and definitely seek advice as to which one is appropriate for you. Just before we go, just one thing I want to make mention of is this is such a common debate that people are having, right? When should I do this should I even change where I'm living to be an investment property? Can I upsize? If you are really unsure about what you should do and you want to talk about it, I would suggest speaking with John. He does clarity calls. I don't do them because 
if you've been a long-time listener, you'll know I don't buy investment properties. John does. And so he's got that expertise in that area. I would highly encourage you to check the link below in the show notes to um, have a clarity call with John. He talks about this stuff all day, every day. He knows what he's on about and he can bring a bit of a level head to the situation to work through it with you. So please go check that out in the show notes below. Thank you, Emily. I had this amazing conversation with a farmer and his wife, Sounds like a TV show, doesn't it? Earlier this week. And thank you if you're listening to their daughter who reached out to her parents to say, you need to go and have a clarity call. Because uh, we just had this, and you spoke before about going out of your area or out of your eco center to get advice to someone that doesn't know your situation. So there's no emotion attached to it. And we by the end of the conversation, they they maybe they didn't learn much. I don't know, but they got. <laughs> I'm sure lot, they did. <laughs> but they got a lot of satisfaction from just being able to tell someone that they didn't know their whole story without emotion and just right. Here it is. It's on the table. Instead of going to that family and friends that uh, we often do, that gives us emotional bias uh, in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, it was a, a really. Uh, fun little hour that we had. Love it. Farmer and his wife. <laughs> Farmer and his <laughs> wife. Yeah. Awesome. Well, John, thanks for today. I always love chatting about these things with you because mm. we both bring different things to the table and what we think about in a situation um, yes. from both sides of the fence. So, yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure listeners have gotten value out of today. And I'm sure this will be an episode that we reference in the Facebook group as well. And just on that, if you're not in the Facebook group, you definitely should be. Um, it's where a lot of knowledge is exchanged and a lot of insights as to people's stories and where they're at, which is so relatable, the mm. content that's on that page. So that's Absolutely. the My Millennial Money Facebook group. There's like 30,000 members in there now or more. Wow. It's pretty big uh, all across yeah. Australia. So go in and, and join. I think you'll get benefit out of being a member of that group as well. Totally. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll talk soon. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I had the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.